President Obama comes back to Chicago. A Columbia artist-in-residence can predict your future, and some students complain of a lack of access to resources on campus. Show us what Columbia looks like! This is what Columbia looks like! Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. The Obamas came back to town on October 29th to promote the Presidential Center. Staff reporter Isaiah Colbert is here in studio to discuss this topic. Hey, Isaiah, thanks for coming in. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, anytime, anytime. So here at Chronicle Headlines, we are going to be discussing your story. So tell us a little bit about the story. Um, so the story... Um, the like you mentioned um so the obamas had like an event um the third i think his third summit over at um itt tech and it was pretty much a sort of like a junket where they had a lot of guest speakers they had a couple celebrities there and it was basically for um michelle was there to discuss um her book and do like um sort of like a talk about the presidential center and obama was there with a lot of um other young leaders and he was also there to talk about um, the Presidential Center as well. What about the Presidential Center? You know, for those who aren't aware, what is this Presidential Center supposed to be? So the Presidential Center is supposed to be um, placed in Jackson Park, and it's supposed to have a plaza, a museum, and um, among other things, it's supposed to um, sort of have like an area for the youth of um, the south side of Chicago just to sort of have different programs to help sort of enrich them as well as having a museum that um, goes through a lot of like the high points of um, or different like points of uh, Obama's political journey, as well as a replica of the Oval Office. So in a way, it's um, the point of the center is that it sort of enriches and sort of brings um, Washington, D.C. in a way to Chicago, and it will, in a way, um, sort of enrich people in the south side of Chicago to... Uh, and the different programs and things that it offers. So why are the Obamas, other than the fact that, you know, it's an mm. Obama center, why are they so set on trying to make this happen? Um, a lot of the reason why they're trying to make this happen is that um, they said they mentioned that because they live in uh, D.C., a lot of um, so, sort of the blowback was that, oh, why not have this just be in D.C. since you live in D.C.? Or, like, why not have it Right, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, and they, um, for Michelle and for Barack, um, Michelle, she was born and raised in the south side of Chicago, and for Barack, this is where he got his political startings as a community organizer. So it sort of felt like if they're going to have this place anywhere, it would sort of make a lot more sense to have it placed where they came from. So is it looking like this will be happening? Um, I'm not very sure. I know that there was a lot of um, sort of pushback from it because the initial design for the center looked a little bit like a barn. I, I think I heard something about that. And um, a lot of the talk for the new presidential center, they had like a mock like uh, CGI rendering of what the center would look like and where it would be placed um, in, the, in Jackson Park and sort of the decisions behind the design for the um, foundation itself and how it's supposed to look like four hands coming together and like a monolithic well not a monolith but and that kind of like structure for the building so they had a lot more explanation on just like here's what it looks like and here's what we have that goes into why like these certain like areas and centers are supposed to be there so is there a reason they chose jackson park 
Um, I think they mostly chose Jackson Park because it was sort of like, in terms of different Chicago locations, the south side of Chicago is one of those areas that has like a little bit of a less investment when it comes to um, sort of enriching the community. Like south side sort of has like the, it's stereotypically like seen as just like, oh, well, that's where like pretty much where ne'er-do-wells and the like, you don't really want to be on the south side of Chicago. So different areas like Magnificent Mile and like north side of Chicago tends to have more investment put into it. And the Obamas felt like, well, that shouldn't be the case. We should be able to build up all parts of Chicago and south side especially. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. And I think that it's a really great way to, you know, bring people to the center and bring our communities together because I feel that oftentimes people will segregate the north side of Chicago and the south side of Chicago. And this, in a way, can bring the community together because this is a former, you know, president of the United States. So this is a really, this is really cool that they're looking to do it in Jackson Park. And one of the things that Obama mentioned when he was speaking was that um, there are, like, it's easy for, like, parts of Chicago just to have, like, or put luxury apartment locations in, like, downtown and things like that. and. Um, when I talked to a couple people about the Presidential Center, they had the fear that um, in the museum and all that being placed in the South Side, they felt like there was a high chance of that leading to a gentrification of the South Side of Chicago in general. And that's a sentiment that I can totally understand as like a fear or worry when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, the Obamas mentioned that um, the center itself would sort of be like its own like in a way, a kind of a tourist trap kind of situation, but like it's a way to bring the world to this part of Chicago and sort of visit it, and as opposed to DC having yet another fancy kind of presidential thing that it's sort of known for, and sort of bringing that to Chicago itself would bring a lot more people in and sort of bring more um, um, to the businesses and such of Chicago, as well as enriching the South Side of Chicago, um, like youth and people with different programs. Um, another thing, um, I guess, that Obama did mention that, like, sort of, like, soothed a little bit of a fear when it comes to, like, oh, if this place, like, if the center comes in, things will probably move out and sort of change the landscape of things around it to sort of make it look more presentable, I guess, to the rest of the world. He mentioned that he was going to be talking to a lot of the small businesses around uh, Jackson Park, and he said, like, um, yeah, people are going to be coming in. What do you need? So... That sentiment there, at least, with how he worded um, things, sort of soothed like the thought, like, it's not going to be just an erasure of the different culture that comes with the south side of Chicago. It's going to be like, well, he's going to try to make sure that they're also prepared and they have what they need for this change. Right. And it's interesting, too, because most people who aren't from Chicago will often stereotype Chicago, saying, like, oh, it's so dangerous to go to mm. Chicago and whatnot. And, you know... Um, growing up and um, even going to school in the city, we know that like there are different areas of Chicago that aren't represented the way they should be represented. They're very misrepresented, and um, it's it's interesting to do it um, on the south side, especially because of the fact that people are so quick to judge and stereotype. And um, it, it's just interesting. It's interesting because it'll bring our communities together which is something that we should have done a long time ago. Mm. And Chicago isn't just like, it's easy to say that Chicago is just like the skyline and just begins and ends at Magnificent Mile, but there's like over 100 neighborhoods. There's right. like different communities have different like 
um, personalities even, or like there's different kinds of like ways of life in those different communities. And so like for me personally, I do see the benefit of having the presidential center um, in Chicago and having it in the South side specifically. Um, in an interview that I did with Billy Porter, he did mention that um, a lot of people like um, him are like, and when they reach a certain status, when they leave a certain area, they forget to go back to that area. Mm-hmm. And so um, Porter's sort of opinion on that was just that it's really good that um, sort of you don't forget where you come from and that you sort of give back to or you like have enough wherewithal to give back to that community as opposed to have just sort of been, well, I was there. That was the past. Let's move on to the future, like giving back to where you come from. Yeah. So overall, how was this experience, you know, covering the story? Um, so uh, first of all, um, this is my first big like press event kind of thing where I needed to use my media credentials, like the fancy um, plastic cart with my face on it. We um, love that. Yeah, uh, this is the first time that I got to do that. And I was a bit nervous because this was like a breaking story. So I had to like be there at like nine in the morning, do the sign ins and have like our credentials and stuff. Initially, there was a bit of a worry because we only had one press credential, and it was me and my uh, photographer, Jacqueline, who were there to cover the event. So we sort of had to trade credentials, so I'd cover the morning part and she'd cover the evening part. But the trade-off was that was that I'd actually miss um, Barack speaking, and I'd had to specifically write about him speaking. So I turned it into, well, I'll be here and Michelle will be talking in the first half, so... I'll record that and then, you know, wait for the live stream that they had on um, the Obama Foundation had on their YouTube channel and like sort of just wait and figure out like bits and pieces and like sort of um, play Tetris with the different quotes that I had and mix it together. But um, overall going to the event, it was sort of surreal because um, sort of like being there with like all these like actual like big, big professional um, journalists who like all have their big cameras. They all have like the... Um, recording devices typing really fast on their laptops and like they had like a specific seating area for everyone so that was um I felt very underdressed too I just had like a thermal like undershirt and everyone else (laughs) had like these like suits and like they're like it was all like um if they were like other college news people there they were like oh top tier like hipster looking kids so I'm just like oh I'm just just you know bargain bin hipster so um (laughs) yeah that was very interesting and also just like seeing the different like um people who were coming in in the audience um just to sort of experience the event like i think like charles barkley was there and i'm just like this is like a really tall guy and everyone's <laughs> going to cry oh yeah there's there's celebrities here and like um sort of just like having to sort of deal with that like oh yeah that thing that i see on tv i'm like there for the event that was a bit surreal and like having to sort of normalize that a bit in my head mm-hmm. and like not get too like overwhelmed like oh these are all just people we're all just doing our thing yeah, that was um, it was a very um, I say it was a very enriching experience too because um, this is like my first like quick turnaround like I had to uh, get back to um, the office by like noon and I had it all finished and written up by like seven so this was like I wanted to challenge myself to like be able to write something that was breaking news because I used to be a reporter at like a previous publication for my um, community college and it like was a bit of a year off kind of period there so I'm just like can I still do that kind of level of work so 
it was a bit of like proving to myself that I can still do that kind of turnaround. Well, it's not every day you get to cover a former president's yeah. conference. I mean, it's a big deal. I, I you know? figure if I do it, I do it big, and I'd either go big fail, or go home, yeah, you know? I fail big, or I succeed somewhat, <laughs> you know, smaller scale. Yeah. <laughs> Well, for additional reporting on this story, you can head over to ColumbiaChronicle.com or you can pick up a print edition on campus or, you know, anywhere in the loop. If you see our stance, pick up our paper. That's all for this story, but stay tuned for more. For this next story, I have news editor Catherine Savage in studio who, I, I guess I don't really know how to get into this without saying it. She had her future predicted by a Columbia artist in residence. Catherine, is that correct? It can't be correct, right? Yeah, I did have it predicted for me. So exactly how does this work? Who is this artist in residence, and how was your future predicted? Yeah, so um, she's the artist in residence at the library, and you go in. um, It's called Bibliomancy Sessions. So what she does is she takes... um, readings from books, especially books of like prover- proverbs or cultural sayings. Um, and what you do is you sit down with her and you kind of choose, she has several books that you could choose from. So you choose one of those and then you basically spend some time with the book. So you have your eyes closed and you put both your hands on the ends of the book while it's closed. And then you kind of flip through the pages until you come on a page that you kind of like just randomly select that feels right. Your eyes are closed the whole time, so it's not a matter of, is it a matter of reading the page? Are there words on the page or what is it? No, so your eyes are closed the whole time. Mm -hmm. So then when you finally land on the page and specifically like on your finger on the certain passage on the page, then you open your eyes and read it. And she said it's also helpful to kind of read what's around it also. So it's just a matter of literally stopping when you think you should stop. There's nothing more to it, right? Yeah, pretty much that's it. Okay, so I think you had your future predicted twice or you had two readings done. Uh, What were those like? Yeah, so there was two. So the first one I did was out of one of the Book of Proverbs. And she uh, described that book as being kind of sassy, which I liked. So I was like, ooh, I'm going to try that one. So that one gave me about gold. And basically it was about how, like, gold kind of isn't everything. It was saying how it could do many other things than, like, the typical wealth, I guess. So that was interesting. Kind of chasing experiences over money type thing, like some life advice there. Is that what that was? Yeah, and I think just kind of, I took it as like focusing on less on money, more Mm -hmm. on experiences. Yeah, like you said. Okay, so then you got that reading, you put that book aside, you grabbed another book. What was that reading like? Yeah, so that one um, was a book of tarot cards. and so and it was actually interpreted so they were like remastered tarot cards which were pretty cool um so i did the same process with that one and i landed on it's called uh the nine of wands and it basically is telling you about like if you're having a really hard time to persist and you could like make it through which i thought was great (laughs) why did you think it was great are you is there something we should know about Catherine? is everything okay (laughs) i mean a lot of us it's midterm season and we're coming to the home stretch and i'm graduating in december so Uh, i feel like motivation is is low (laughs) motivation is probably really low midterms are essentially over or done or in the midst of them so 
They're kind of trying to fight that senioritis. Is that what that passage was telling you? Absolutely. <laughs> I am curious, though, because a lot of people predict the future, but I've never heard of bib- bibliomancy, bibliomancy, how's it pronounced again? Bibliomancy. Yeah, so I'd never heard of that. Why did she choose these books? Yeah, she said that she just had a really strong connection with books, and specifically the tarot books. She said with the tarot cards, she never really had good luck with them, and she always, like, kind of disliked them. So she just found that books was a good way and, like, that a lot of people have strong Mm -hmm. connections to. So I probably have the question that is on everyone's mind who's listening right now. Can you get your future read if you're just a Columbia student listening to this podcast? Yeah, so she takes walk-ins, uh, her office hours. I believe she's doing them Tuesday and Thursdays until like the first week of December. And actually, she's taking non-Columbia students also. Oh, so. so anyone can walk into, it's the library, correct? You, you walk in the library and ask for your future to be predicted, <laughs> and they just know what that means? Yeah, it's on the fourth floor of the library. If you ask for the artist in residence office, they'll probably direct you there. Okay, um, I, I feel like there's just so much more to know. Uh, I feel like we only talked about this story for a couple minutes and I have a million more questions, but unfortunately, we have time restrictions here on this podcast. So are there any other major stories or anything you think we should know about right now? Um, I think that's all for right now. For additional reporting, you can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com or you can pick up a newsstand at one of the many newsstands throughout the city and you can see her little setup because it's not just like a room. There's like lights and dang it's it's like a future reading place was it was it cozy it it actually was awesome the way she transformed her office space was so cool she had like string lights up and there was uh decals of like books and stars it was awesome well there's only one way to figure out what those look like and you can pick up a newspaper go to our website or schedule a walk-in appointment but Catherine, thanks for coming in thank you Over to our next story. Columbia has a lot of amenities to offer, whether it's recording booths, lighting studios, or industrial sewing machines. But not all of it is available to Columbia students. Staff reporter Lauren Leesenby scoured the campus to see where amenities are and aren't available to students. I have her in studio now. So Lauren, how many places on campus did you look at? I tried to look at uh, places on campus from um, various departments and majors. So I looked at interactive arts and media. I looked at um, audio facilities, um, different equipment facilities for like photo and um, film and television, and as well as fashion facilities and more generalized facilities like uh, the fabrication facility and the makerspace. So your story was just about what Columbia students can and can't use that, correct? Because like recording booths on the seventh floor in the 33 I.W. Wells building are available to all students. But you came across some students who couldn't get into like a lighting studio and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yeah. So I talked to um, Abby Kreider. She's a sophomore and she's a photo major. But in order to use the lighting studio, that's part of the photo department, you have to have taken uh, a class called Principles in Lighting. And she hadn't taken that yet, even though she knew how to use the lighting equipment. She wasn't allowed to use it. Um, Had some problems uh, sort of finishing projects at the end of last semester. So uh, she was kind of um, confused as to why she, even though she was in the photo department, why she wasn't allowed to use a facility. 
Without getting into a big long list of things, because you can go to ClembyChronicle.com to see the full story with a longer list, what were some major places that students could not use or students wanted to use but just for whatever reason were not able to? Yeah, so a lot of it had to do with the photo facilities, which is not just lighting studio, but also um, cameras and different equipment therein, and as well as other equipment at the uh, Media Equipment Center, which includes like video cameras and things like that as well, where you have to be in the School of Fine and Performing Arts in order to use that stuff. So we're talking about big, fancy equipment, for the lack of a better term, like big cameras, yeah. all the sliding stuff. Was there any reason given why students wouldn't be able to use that stuff? Yeah. So first of all, a lot of the big, expensive equipment that's several thousand dollars, um, Mimi Yu, his, who is the uh, man- manager of digital facilities, she said students can, as long as you're in the School of Fine and Performing Arts, you can access that stuff. You just have to take like an online authorization sort of thing. But as far as in general, um, open access would be kind of dangerous to the equipment because there's a limited amount of equipment. Um, If something gets damaged, it gets taken out of the rotation and somebody who needs it to complete a project wouldn't be able to use it. Okay, so it's more of using resources effectively rather than just students shouldn't use this because we don't want them to use it. It's more who knows how to use it. I think I also mentioned industrial sewing machines in the very beginning of this segment uh, can anyone use one of those really fancy sewing machines? Uh, no. So you can use a um, a home style home style sewing machine. That's one of like the smaller ones that we probably all use in like some sort of home ec class in yeah. middle school. Okay. Yeah, but an industrial sewing machine is like a huge, big machine that could be really dangerous to use if you don't know how to use it. Um, so you can't use one of those unless you've taken some specific fashion courses. Um, and uh, Amy Lenners, who's the manager of Makerspace Facilities, which is several facilities, she said that um, the reason for that is, of course, it just comes down to safety. She doesn't want any student to get hurt because they don't know how to use a piece of equipment. So then what happens to students who may need to use this equipment, like we've mentioned before, a photography student who needs to use the lighting studio but hasn't taken the proper courses, what do they do when they need that, those facilities on campus but aren't allowed to use them? Uh, the first course of action would be be talking to um, the managers or other um, faculty or staff within the department to see if an exception can be made um, for certain extenuating circumstances. Um, several sources told me that they can make up exceptions for students. Um, so talk to um, Mimi, like I said, who's the manager of digital facilities, or um, Ross Sawyers, who is the uh, uh, Ross Sawyers, who is the chair of the photo department. Um, they may be able to work with you depending on your circumstance, um, but it first helps to kind of bring your situation to them. Uh, Lauren, is there anything else we should know about your story? Um, no, just de- definitely check it out on uh, ColumbiaChronicle.com. Yeah, and again, for additional reporting, you can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com or you can pick up one of the newspapers around campus. Lauren, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, or our additional coverage on social media. We are at CEC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and the Columbia Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the Chair of the Communications Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride. 
Chronicle Headlines is produced and hosted by Yasmin Chica and Blaze Mesa. Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. <laughs>